0: From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. There's a huge expanse between what most of us were taught in school about Native American culture and what's actually true. A series on PBS produced by a Rhode Islander seeks to explore the complexity that's not described in our textbooks. It's called Native America. We'll talk to Gary Glassman, the executive producer, and Daniel Golding, the director of the latest episode, after a quick break. When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Welcome back. I'm here with Gary Glassman, the executive producer of Native America, and Daniel Golding, the director of the episode Language is Life. Welcome to the show, Gary and Daniel.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having us.
0: Gary, let's start with you. You're not a member of a Native American tribe. In fact, you lived in Paris before you moved to Rhode Island. So what made you interested in this topic?
1: I had done a film about the Maya back in 1998. And there I was in the middle of the Honduran jungle. And there was this incredible city of Copan with unique architecture and art, a whole pantheon of gods, its own writing system. And here was this dynasty of um, Maya kings from 400 to 800. And I just thought, where did this come from? How did it get here? And what else was going on in the Americas at that same time? So I started researching what was going on, and I found that nothing we were ever taught in the grade schools and high school was reflected in the reality of all these incredible cultures that were throughout the Americas. 100 million people connected by social and trade networks, these unique forms of art and architecture, religion, government, medicine.
0: Well, that's interesting, yeah. Tell us a bit more about that divide between what you were taught in school about Native Americans and and what you've learned since.
1: Well, we were taught that there was nothing here, basically, that it was this um, untamed wilderness, and I learned something totally different. When we did season one, which was really about the world created by America's First Peoples, we had Native scholars and Native community members speaking about their own history. So for Season 2, we wanted to extend that authenticity of storytelling by having Native producer-directors lead each hour of the four-hour series.
0: And you know we have a rich Native American culture here in Rhode Island. Did you collaborate with members of the Narragansett tribe on the show?
1: I love uh, the Narragansett tribe here, and um, I frequent the Tomaquag Museum, and I know I certainly know a number of Narragansett people. But we have not done a story with the Narragansas. However, in season two, we do have music from Eastern medicine singers who are based here in Rhode Island.
0: Oh, cool. Um, Daniel, you directed the Language is Life episode, and I was struck by how you managed to talk about the legacy of language while also making the episode feel modern. So what was your mission coming into this episode?
2: I don't think it was really... I would describe it as being a mission, you know. I think it was a passion for language, an understanding of the language loss in my community and the importance of having language. I think it was more about being able to advocate, you know, to introduce and and show people that there is a richness to Native languages here in the U.S. and beyond you know, if these languages are lost, then uh, we're losing a lot of knowledge and stuff. And I think people needed to be aware of the diversity of languages in North America, the importance of saving these languages, how dire the situation is.
0: Yeah, tell me about that. How much are some of the languages imperiled and being lost?
2: Well, I can speak uh, my language for sure. I'm uh, from the Kutsan nation here in Yuma, Arizona. We're actually a tribe in both California and Arizona. We have about four thousand tribal members. And today, I think we have less than a uh, hundred fluent speakers of our language. Oh, wow. And most of those speakers are probably over the age of sixty or seventy. And for us, being a small tribe, that's actually having like ninety speakers is a lot. you mm. know I think uh, Fort Mojave has, Less than 12 speakers left, you know, and they have about the same amount of tribal membership. There's some tribes that have maybe one speaker left or two speakers left. And they're doing whatever they can to save it, you know, especially a lot of smaller tribes like in California and stuff. It's a very serious issue in crisis.
0: One of the segments profiles uh, Manning Wheeler, who's protecting his language by dubbing movies into Navajo. Can you describe how members of the tribe react to watching these films?
2: Oh, uh, yeah. So uh, uh, with Manny Wheeler dubbing uh, these, these films into, into Navajo, it, you know, there's a real sense of pride in a way, I guess you can say.
1: Ladies and gentlemen that are listening in your cars this evening here at the drive-in theater.
2: Star Wars. From fluent speakers who can watch these movies being uh, shown in their language, they can watch, they can laugh and, you know, talk about it or whatever and i think there's a real beauty in all that you know i know manny has sort of like a a larger mission to all that is you know trying to expose people to the language especially younger people doing it in an innovative way yeah it's pretty pretty neat and i think it you know sparked a lot of curiosity and interest with other tribes you know that may now be considering doing similar things as them, you know, dubbing Star Wars into Cherokee or possible or something else, which I think is pretty awesome, you know?
0: Yeah, M- Manny starts with Star Wars and then he takes on a spaghetti Western or as they call it, a fry bread Western.
2: <laughs> I don't think it's nice, you leaven. Let's stop it right there. No. Okay. So that part, like in our own language, how do you think you would say that part like? What I would say was
0: I would have said that. Why was it important for this group to dub a movie like that?
2: For one, I think with the older age group, you know, a lot of the elders and stuff, they love watching Westerns, right? Even if they do not portray natives in the best light. Most natives like to see themselves on screen, right? Even if it's in a negative way, right? They just wanted to see themselves because we don't see ourselves anywhere. And I think he wanted to do something for the elders, you know, to give them something to to watch and, and be a part of. And so that's why he decided to do this full of dollars, because uh there's no natives in the movie you know and so it doesn't have deal with that controversy of misrepresentation you know of native people and natives love clint eastwood movies so you know (laughs) it was a perfect fit you know
0: (laughs) so i i love the segment where Dwayne toma traveled to the national audiovisual conservation center to listen to wax cylinder recordings of his ancestors can you explain what these wax cylinders recordings were and, and why they existed?
2: So these these wax cylinder recordings were uh, the first Native American voice recordings. They were done by an ethnographer or an anthropologist, I'm not quite sure. His name was Jesse w- Walter Fuchs, and he uh, recorded these in 1890. People may not know what a wax cylinder is, but it was a basically it was the first voice recording device that was created by Thomas Edison. There's these cylinders that have this hard kind of coating of wax. And when you speak into it, it you know records a groove into these, these wax cylinders and it records the voice and such. So Jesse Walter Fuchs took that machine up to possible up in Calais, Maine, in the 1890s, set up there and recorded the voices of the Possible Quaddy people. He, he saw the potential of what that machine could do at a time when there was such change in native american life you know he was doing his best i think to try to save what he many people thought was going to be gone the same time that he was doing these wax cylinder recordings over here on the east you know was the last battle of wounded knee in the dakotas right you know those were happening the same year People don't really comprehend that those things were happening at the same time. You know, there was such dramatic change in Native American life at that time. I think the possible knew exactly what they were doing as well. They saw the importance of what that machine could do, and they took advantage of it, and they recorded what they could.
0: I understand that while you were recording there, the archivists found a recording of your great-grandfather. What was it like hearing that recording?
2: That was interesting too because I they had some, some uh, recordings of uh, my great grandfather Alfred Golding singing uh, beer songs. I was aware of them I, from years back and I'd heard copies of them that were really horrible, out of speed. They were just, you know, really gritty sounding and staticky. And um, you really couldn't hear what was on them. But with we were working on this project. They have this new machine, which is called an endpoint machine, which is a, like a laser-insisted device that could read the, the cylinders. And so they were able to use that machine with the wax cylinders of my great-grandfather. And so while we were there recording with Dwayne Toma and the Possum Aquati, they uh, surprised me by pulling out a few cylinders of my great-grandfather and these deer songs. And I got to hear them for the first time, you know, with this new technology. It was pretty amazing, you know, to hear how clear they could really sound, you know. I didn't think it would be possible to restore these cylinders in that kind of clarity, but you could. I can really hear my my grandfather's tone in his voice and all this stuff, you know. There's a potential now to maybe revive those songs with the tribe because he was the last singer of those songs. Nobody sang them anymore.
0: With the young generation, are they eager to learn more? Are they eager to keep the languages alive?
2: I think there's a, definitely a, an immense amount of pride in being Kutsan, in learning the tribal culture. There's definitely an interest in wanting to speak the language but i think it's also very challenging because it's a it's a lot of hard work right sure it's a lot of commitment and it's not easy when he bombarded with english you know all the time i mean it makes it that much more difficult right
0: yeah yeah
2: but i think if there was more that can be invested in saving languages would be great more initiatives to try to help tribes and invest into saving languages would be key Because I think right now we're at a a very, you know, important time. We're at a crossroads, you know. More needs to be done, not only with the tribe, with the commitment for young people, but with the federal government and
1: supporting Native language.
0: Gary, how have audiences responded to this series?
1: It's been incredibly positive. One of the things that we've been doing... Uh, in particular, is that we made a commitment to the communities that participated in the series to go back to those communities and screen their episodes there. Oh, wow. Overwhelmingly, people have been very proud of the way they're Stories are being told and uh, and how they're being represented, so it's been uh, incredibly positive. And from what I understand, you know, from PBS so far, audiences are really responding very positively to it as well. Big high ratings.
0: And you've just released season two of Native America. Any plans for season three?
1: Yes, we want season three. There are thousands of stories, and we have an incredible team in place of Native filmmakers. One of the things that comes out of doing these community screenings is um, people from other tribes show up and say, why not us? You know, we want in too. And uh, we, we're anxious uh, Yeah, to do give it. us
0: an example of that. Who, who called and said they'd like to talk to you?
1: Well, Narragansetts for one. Oh, there you go. We've got to do the Narragansetts.
0: I'll ask both of you, but start with Gary. What do you hope audiences walk away with when they're finished watching this series?
1: I think what's most important about the series is that these are all native people speaking for themselves, and they are totally modern, even though uh, the cultures are deep and uh, the traditions are traditional knowledge and uh, indigenous intelligence, you know that goes back thousands of years. It's being used today in all kinds of professions, from astronauts and engineers um, and scholars. you know, Native people are having an impact on our society and have an incredible amount to contribute and we should be (laughs) listening to them, particularly in relationship to the environment, government, medicine. I'm hoping that, I mean two things, there's 2% of the population that are native and I'm hoping that they feel great about themselves and the series. 98 percent of the people who are not native i hope they're inspired and open their eyes to the native people around them
0: and daniel let me ask you too what do you hope audiences walk away with when they're finished watching this series
2: you know what gary said we represent about two percent of the population but i think our contribution to american history and culture in itself is is like 90 to 100 percent, you know, there's just so much more in Native America that people don't get to experience because they're not exposed to it. And I think that as Native people, you know, we look forward to seeing ourselves on screen. We look forward to sharing our stories to show that we are still here, that we are alive and that we are innovators we're creators we're doing what we can to carry on our tradition in this world we're just looking to do whatever we can to survive and make the world a better place and i think we have things and ideas and world views that can help that happen if we could just bring that voice to the table and share that with everyone i think the world would be better
0: All right, Daniel Golding and Gary Glassman, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Native America airs on Rhode Island PBS Mondays at 10 through December 4th. Want to know more about the Native America series? Gary Glassman and Daniel Golding will both be part of a panel discussion and screening at the University of Rhode Island on November 29th. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe in collaboration with Rhode Island PBS. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall with help from Carlos Munoz and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. Be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Ahmed Fitzpatrick. See you next week.